Welcome to New England Take and WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM, Concord, 101.9 FM in Manchester, as well as nhtalkradio.com. I'm your host, H.A. Kirstead. You can listen to New England Take Fridays at 6 p.m., as well as Mondays at 6 a.m. during WKXL in the morning, which I also host here at the station. Be sure to check out nhtalkradio.com to get all the back episodes of the show. I'm excited to have my first guest from New Hampshire Public Radio on the station. I'll promise to be nice. Uh, we got Ali Pham, who's the uh, health and equity reporter. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Good to be here. Yeah, so I, I've been trying really hard to bring in more journalists uh, into WKXL's uh, frequencies here. So we've, we've got regular segments with the New Hampshire Bulletin and New Hampshire Business Review, which you can hear on uh, WKXL in the morning specifically. But I, I'm cashing on this on my personal show because I want to. <laughs> so for, for starters, I mean, what exactly uh, does health and equity cover as a reporter? Yeah, I mean, so I would say I started the role about seven months ago, and I guess since then, just because I've been here during the pandemic, it's really been very uh, focused on reporting around the pandemic. But um, I think hopefully, you know, fingers <laughs> crossed, <laughs> a world where will exist where that is not 95% of my focus and I'll be able to expand it to other topics in health. And really that equity component is that lens through which I'm hoping to kind of focus that reporting. So, you know, in the COVID-19 pandemic, for example, um, that can be looking at how the, you know, at a very basic level, how the virus is, you know, disproportionately impacting um, folks in the state who are people of color, who are low income. Um, So... Yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, a good part of what, what your article is covering that we're going to be definitely discussing today is, uh, I mean, COVID hits basically every demographic you could possibly think of, and it hit some demographics specifically uh, harder, especially when you're talking about the larger cities, uh, especially mm-hmm. outside of New Hampshire. New Hampshire is kind of this weird, we have a few pockets of immigrant communities and uh, African-American communities throughout the state, but it's it's primarily uh, white uh, demographic when it comes to the, the people that live here, which makes it especially important to make sure that these especially at risk populations are covered. So that that must be uh, interesting slash difficult to cover. Yeah. And I think, too, I mean, when we talk about New Hampshire, that can also be, you know, a focus on rural communities. I mean, mm-hmm. if we look at the North Country right now, they're really getting um, hit by a pretty intense uh, wave of, of the virus. I feel like the the aspect of poverty and age is often left out when you talk about equity with a lot more of the mainstream outlets. So it's uh, it's great seeing you guys covering those aspects of it, especially being in New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. You reported your most recent article that this specifically we're talking about was on uh, November fourth. I'll be sure to link to it on in the episode description if you if you check out nhtalkradio.com, the podcast version of the show. Um, there's been some uh, really a lot of difficulty when it comes to tracking COVID statistics. I've spoken to Anne Marie Timmons extensively from the Bulletin about this, uh, but what it, you re, you uncovered a lot more specifics. Yeah, so I um, kind of specifically have been looking at the state's vaccination um, rate, and what I had noticed really throughout the summer was that our two most reliable sources of data, so that would be the state of New Hampshire and that would be the CDC, just we're reporting increasingly different rates of vaccination here in the state. And not just like a few percent, but like to the tune of 
hundreds of thousands of doses um, difference. And what it turns out was going on is that the state of New Hampshire's data is a bit more, is significantly more inaccurate. Um, and that is because when the state of emergency ended on June 11th, um, one of the consequences basically was that New Hampshire could no longer collect vaccine data for people without giving them first the option to say, hey, I don't actually want my information tracked. I don't wanna be a part of the state's immunization registry. And because that was just kind of all new, our registry system is super new here and kind of just um, underfunded, frankly, um, and you know the kinks are just kind of getting worked out in real time. What that actually ended up translating into is the state being unable to collect all of the data um, from pharmacies who are one of the biggest providers of vaccines here. Um, and so that really just threw off our numbers and kept them much, much lower than it turns out they, they actually were. And when you're talking like there's roughly 1.3 million people in the state, messing up that volume of, uh, of statistics is tremendous when you're talking about trying, because we're trying to, originally we're trying to at least get to 70% vaccination rate. So if, if you're off by tens of thousands of vaccines, uh, vaccines being delivered, that's tremendous. Right, right, exactly. Um, it's it's significant. Um, and so the other thing is that that I think is important to understand here is now that the state basically, I guess, can't accurately track its own vaccination rate, um, like I as a journalist, but also the state of New Hampshire itself and, you know, everyone looking for vaccine uh, statistics should be heading to the CDC for that information. And they have a great map that, that you can use. But the kind of issue is that their data is actually becoming increasingly inaccurate as well. And it's all really tied back to the fact that we just have this new underfunded immunization information system. And so I would say where to be cautious about trusting CDC data right now is gonna be with those first shots and with the boosters um, because What's happened is that kind of due to that initial issue, the CDC now cannot accurately line up someone's booster dose and say that and confidently match it with the first and second doses. Um, so what that means is that they're just actually tracking a ton of boosters and a ton of third shots for immunocompromised folks as first shots, which means two things. One, our booster rate looks like trash. It looks like we just are the worst state in the country when it comes to administering boosters, which is probably not the case. Um, and two, it means that our rate of first shots is artificially inflated and we actually don't have that many people in the state um, who have, I mean, we have a ton for sure, but yeah. as many as it appears who have um, gotten a first shot of the vaccine. So I think if you're looking for the most kind of accurate rate, I would look at the fully vaccinated rate as reported by the CDC. I mean, how much would you say this is um, 
put it entirely as frank as humanly possible, I guess. Uh, everyone caught with their pants down when it came to COVID and everyone just scrambling to get these vaccines basically put out nine years earlier than they would have ever otherwise been released versus maybe some mismanagement when it comes to governments being governments. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. I think when it... I mean, I think it's just hard to get great data on a thing that is so new. And, you know, people are building these systems in real time at the same time we're trying to track things. But I do think that at least the vaccination issue is very much a New Hampshire specific issue because all other states um, or we were the last state in the country to roll out a centralized immunization registry. And so a lot of the other states have presumably worked out some of these kinks that we are stuck dealing with amidst a pandemic. Have, have you done much coverage on the registry itself? Uh, I'm curious what the development of that happened to have been like. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a, a great sense of the, the history of it, but I mean, it's very clear that it needs some upgrading and it's been really difficult for folks working on that system at the state level to get some of that funding through. We saw a lot of that funding rejected and um, by the executive council a few weeks ago. And, um, you know, there might be some kind of creative ways that people can tap on into other funding sources, but it's, it's just really actually unclear if, when that, those issues could even be resolved if the money's not gonna be there. I mean, politically, that seemed having a registry like that uh, as a center right guy that leans libertarian that I could just see all the uh, red flags raising for so many people in the state, especially with the free state movement and everything, just going, mm-hmm. hell no. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And I think some of those concerns actually are part of why we can't track this, because right. the state has there is that law that says the state needs to offer people the ability to opt out and it's actually putting that into practice um that means that right now they're just unable to migrate a bunch of data into it because they haven't yet figured out how to you know make that law reality so in their attempt to not break it it's just meaning that they can't get this data is that part of the privacy amendment that was added or is it a separate thing I'm not 100% sure there. I wouldn't be surprised. We can blame Buzz Sure for that over at the law school. Because <laughs> he wrote it. <laughs> um, I, I mean, is is there, I mean, do they have any predictions on when they might be able to really kind of get this sorted out? Are they hoping in, within the next, like, three months to get a, a reasonable statistic when it comes to the state level? Yeah, I mean, that, I think it genuinely rides on their ability to get funding through. And then when I spoke to the Health and Human Services Commissioner, Lori Shibanet, she was saying, even once we do get the money, it's going to be kind of a backlog of working through things that could take, you know, a a few months. So you're talking 11 months of back data. (laughs) talking months. um, How many months is really unclear. Yeah, th- this will be really interesting to follow because this is uh, this is going to be an ongoing thing, especially uh, with the COVID uh, boosters going out more and more. Like at first, it's only for people in certain fields or at-risk mm-hmm. populations. But I mean, within the next six months, the odds are the booster is going to be available for everyone. And that's totally going to uh, gum up the works for everyone for this. Right, right, yeah. So the other aspect to COVID vaccinations that has really gotten a lot of headlines this last week is children's age 5 to 11 are now eligible for it. And you wrote about that also. Uh, how uh, How is the state uh, taking to it so far? 
Yeah. So the, I mean, this rollout is really different to the rollout that we saw last spring for adults. And I think that's in large part due to the role that the state of New Hampshire um, played then and the role that it's playing now. So if you, you know, remember back in the spring, there were a ton of, um, you know, state run big operations staffed by the National Guard. There were those big drive through, you know, clinics at the Speedway that were moving literally thousands of granite staters through a day. And those types of efforts are just not happening. So it's a and kind of the way you sign up is a little um, more decentralized as well. So it's more, I would say, on the families to just kind of decide what setting do I want to get my kid vaccinated in? Is it a pharmacy? Is it, am I going to try to see if my kid's doctor has it? Am I going to try to go to my local hospital? Because I've the been schools. there. Or exactly, do I want to get my kid vaccinated at a school clinic? So I think it's kind of in some way, yeah, I think parents kind of need to, to make that decision and then kind of figure out maybe by calling around pharmacies are easy because you can just book online and just kind of figure out where they want to get it. So yeah, the vaccine is here. I was at a pharmacy actually this morning in Concord, just talking to a lot of families um, who were in with their kids. And um, it is, a, a, I think a little bit slower than a lot of people would have expected. Um, just given the fact that, you know, over the summer, you could walk in on a moment's notice and just go get your, you know, second shot of the vaccine. And now people you have to go book appointments. They might not have appointments in their area for a couple weeks. Um, and there's a few inherent reasons why it would be slow, too. I mean, firstly, mm -hmm. it ta you need a specific dose. It's not the same exactly. dose that the adults take. So it's a smaller dose that, for starters, it is FDA-approved, Pfizer. It's not the emergency authorization that we have with the initial vaccine batches. So yeah. We want to put that out there because there's obviously all sorts of stuff out there when it comes to that yes. one way or another. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, All it, good to reiterate. Yes, it's fully FDA cleared for ages 5 to 11 for the specific smaller dose. Is, is it a one or a two dose? Do you know yeah, it's a two. And it's a two like dose. the vaccine for those 12 and older, it's also a two dose. But yeah, to your point, it's a different, it's a smaller dose, a few minor ingredient changes. So that means that, you know, I mean, last week when it was approved, I had gone to some locations and they were like, we actually don't have our shipments yet. No. So, you know, <laughs> we can start administering this thing. So there's, you know, a little bit of that type of lag time. And then there's also just, I mean, we have over 500 locations that have the vaccines for those 12 and older and not all of those locations um, are going to have the the pediatric vaccine and definitely not all of them have it now so and, and there's i mean the inherent low risk then it comes to the this age population too is odds are going to slow down the number of people that would consider giving it i mean personally like i see no Im emergency like oh god i need to get him down there right now my kid he's he's very young he's in elementary school and not in sports, but uh, I could definitely see a lot of the, the kids that are in ath athletics and such rushing to get this as soon as they can. Right. Yeah, I think that definitely depends on, on the family. I think that there was some great polling out from the Kaiser Family Foundation. Obviously, this was national, but it said, you know, about a third of families are in that kind of right away group. They really want this for their kid. Um, and, you know, they're on it. 
immediately. Another third is kind of, you know, not necessarily feeling that sense of urgency, um, or maybe they just want to wait and see. And then another third has kind of decided I'm not, I'm not getting this for my kids. So, yeah. Anything else specifically on this that, that we may have missed? Let's see. No, I think we hit on all the big things. <laughs> so, well, I have you here. I mean, while well, you're your health and equity reporter, you've, you've only been in the state for 10 months. But, I mean, the the big issue, I, I love talking inside baseball when it comes to journalism <laughs> when people and I get people on the show. I, I mean, how, how do you balance, like, we see this big issue when it comes to the cable news with it's very much clickbaity kind of fear-based when it comes to a lot of it. I mean, how do you balance the fact that this is a dangerous disease when it comes to a large portion of the population um, and you need to get the information out there as to what's happening because the, the deaths are there there's no way around that uh, but how do you balance the fear versus the information as someone who covers this beat yeah I mean I feel like a lot of that calculation for me really comes to the headline honestly because i mm-hmm. i feel like in in the meat of the story you can always explain um but sometimes i think we see headlines that are that are like true but they're kind of tapping into to people's fears like for, i think an example that really sticks out um have been some headlines around like breakthrough cases where they you know you read X thousand of people have had a breakthrough case and what you're missing is all that context of the denominator being yeah. like, yes, it's thousands out of the this 300 country. million in the country. And all these, and a lot of these <laughs> cases are mild. So yeah. I think it's like really thinking about the, the length, the language and the headline for me is where I've tried to be super cautious. And then, um, yeah, it is a tricky balance though, with not wanting to, kind of created a ton of fear and then also wanting to communicate that this thing is is serious. I mean, I, I wasn't covering health as much. I feel like it, the media maybe in some ways will try to overcompensate when they're dealing with like either state leaders or a president who is kind of denying the seriousness of that. And then I think sometimes the media can feel like, oh my God, we've got to make it really clear that this thing is is of concern. Yeah, I mean, personally for me, like I'm the news reader in the morning, so I do a little bit of analysis when it comes to that and such. But it's it's a lot of showing both sides that it's not just the, the it's only the Democrats and their opinion is good. All the Republicans are bad. It's not a matter of uh, this group of people, regard, like whether it's... Um, whether they've been to college or not been to college, like this, there's there's a much larger gray areas than people tend yeah. to acknowledge. Yeah. What do you expect to be? Uh, what are you hoping to be covering as soon as we kind of get past a lot of this COVID? I mean, is it? I mean, do you have a specific set of interests that you really hope to hit? Oh my gosh, this is actually the question I've been kind of asking myself a lot lately because I'm trying to figure out, yeah, what that's going to be and where I can start putting some of my energy now to kind of developing my coverage outside of COVID down the road. And I'm honestly not sure I feel kind of fit. <laughs> well, that's good. It means you got, you got an open mind. To, to that's good. Yeah. It might yeah, be scary, I mean, but it's good. <laughs> there's so many things going. And it's also, I think a question of like, where can my reporting be a value for other, for, for like our listenership and also just like the greater for example, like Amory Timmons does a fantastic job covering mental health in New Hampshire. And so 
is it as useful for me to, you know, be reporting on a lot of the same stories that she's already, you know, doing great coverage of? Well, I look forward to whatever it is. I have a lot of respect for New Hampshire Public Radio's journalism. Your team does a great job over there. Allie Pham, who's the health and equity reporter over NHPR. Thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. You listen to New England Take and to BXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM Concord, 101.9 FM Manchester, and nhtalkradio.com. We'll be right back.